ಶನ್ನೋ ಮಿತ್ರಶಂ ವರುಣ ಶನ್ನೋವತ್ವರ್ಯಮಂದ್ರ ಬೃಹಸ್ಪತಿ ಶನ್ನೋ ವಿಷ್ಣುರುಕ್ರಮ ನಮೋ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣೆ ನಮಸ್ತೆ ಪ್ರತ್ಯಕ್ಷ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಸಿ ಪ್ರತ್ಯಕ್ಷ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ವದಿಷ್ಯಾಮಿ ಸತ್ಯಂ ವದಿಷ್ಯಾಮಿ ತನ್ಮಾವದು ತದ್ವಕ್ತಾರಮವದು ಮಾತು ವಕ್ತಾರಂ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಸಹನೋ ಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾವಹೈ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಭ್ಯೋಧ್ಯಮೃತಾತ್ಸಂಬೂವ ಸೇಂದ್ರ ಮೇಧಯಸ್ಪೃಣೋ ತಸ್ಯಧಾರಣೋಭೂಯಸ ಶರೀರ ಮೇ ವಿಚರ್ಷಣ ಜಿಹ್ವಾ ಮೇ ಮಧುಮತ್ತಮ ಕರ್ಣಾಭ್ಯಾಂಭೂರಿ ವಿಶ್ರುವ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣ ಕೋಶಿ ಮೇಧಯಾತ ಮೇ ಗೋಪಾಯ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಅಹಂವೃಕ್ಷರೇರಿವ ಕೀರ್ತಿ ಪೃಷ್ಠಂಗಿರೇರಿವ ಊರ್ಧ್ವಪವಿತ್ರೋವಾಜಿನೀವಸ್ವೃತಮಸ್ಮೆ ದ್ರವಿಣಗುಂಸವರ್ಚಸ ಸುಮೇಧಾಮೃತೋಕ್ಷಿತೇತ್ರಿಶಂಕೋರ್ವೇದಾನುವಚನ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಪೂರ್ಣಮದೂರ್ಣಮಿದೂರ್ಣಾತ್ಪೂರ್ಣಮುದೇ ಪೂರ್ಣಸ್ಯೂರ್ಣಮಾಪೂರ್ಣಮೇವಶಿಷ್ಯದೆ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶ್ರುತಿಸ್ಮೃತಿಪುರಾಣಲಯಂಕರುಣಾಲಯ ನಮಿ ಭಗವತ್ಪಾದಶಂಕರ ಲೋಕಶಂಕರ ಶಂಕರ ಶಂಕರಾಚಾರ್ಯ ಕೇಶವ ಬಾದರಾಯಣ ಸೂತ್ರಭಾಷ್ಯಕೃತ ವಂದೇ ಪಂಥ ಪುನಃ ಈಶ್ವರೋ ಗುರುರಾತ್ಮೇದಿ ಮೂರ್ತಿಭೇದ ವಿಭಾಗಿನೆ ವ್ಯೋಮವ್ಯಾಪ್ತೇಹಾಯ ಅಖಂಡಂ ಸಚ್ಚಿದಂದಂ ಅಖಂಡಂ ಸಚ್ಚಿದಂದಂ ಅವಾಂಗ್ಮನಸಗೋಚರ ಅವಾಂಗ್ಮನಸಗೋಚರ ಆತ್ಮನಮಖಿಲಾಧಾರಂ ಆತ್ಮನಮಖಿಲಾಧಾರಂ ಆಶ್ರಯೇ ಭೀಷ್ಟಸಿದ್ಧೇ ಆಶ್ರಯೇಷ್ಟಸಿದ್ಧೇ ಅರ್ಥತೋಪ್ಯದ್ವಯಾನಂದ ಅರ್ಥತೋಪ್ಯದ್ವಯಾನಂದ 
गुरुनाराध्य वेदांत गुरुनाराध्य वेदांत सारं वक्ष्ये यथामदे सारं वक्ष्ये यथामदे we are discussing the angani the limbs of the ultimate goal which is absorption samadhi yama niyama asana pranayama pratyahara dharana dhyana samadhi in which now we are in the process of discussing yama the first step consists of the values you might say disciplines or abstinence abstaining from something don'ts अहिंसा सत्यमस्ते ब्रह्मचर्य अपरिग्रहा यमा अहिंसा सत्य अस्ते दिस वी डिस्कस्ड अहिंसा नॉन वायलेंस सत्य ट्रूथफुलनेस एंड अस्ते नॉन स्टीलिंग दिस वैल्यूज वी डिस्कस्ड एंड वी सेड वी से बेसिकली हाउ ईच वन ऑफ दिस वैल्यूज आर गिवन टू अस इन ऑर्डर टू gain a mastery of our own mind in fact in order to make gain an abiding mind the mind will abide in the self will be absorbed in the self the, the samadhi or the absorption in the self is possible only when the mind is abiding <coughs> if mind left to itself would be abiding because mind is is made up of sattva the transparent material and therefore mind is pure by nature but on account of ignorance and the notions generated by ignorance and the projections attachments aversions and all these things which is product of ignorance mind has become very distracted restless extrovert impure and therefore this is a question of removing what is foreign or what is acquired by the mind inadvertently what is foreign to mind like the impurities so all those factors which distract the mind or disturb the mind we want to remove all along it's a process of removal of obstacles because everything is naturally perfect the mind also is naturally perfect and whatever imperfections appear to be there are only products of ignorance which have resulted into certain tendencies as we said on account of looking upon the self as incomplete or insecure and on account of looking upon the world as a source of security or happiness naturally the mind runs outward and from these these tendencies are developed violence is a tendency that is developed the the falsehood there is also a tendency that is developed you know to protect my security in order to protect you know there is a, this falsehood people take refuge of falsehood in order to protect something in order not to reveal something shows a basic or non acceptance of oneself stayam the the stealing also to take something or to desire something that belongs to someone else that is called stayam or stealing to take it away without somebody's notice that which is not formally given to us to take it away this is called stealing and even to desire in our own mind would also be called stealing in a subtle way outwardly i may not take anything away but inwardly if i covet or if i desire or i want something that belongs to someone else that also would amount to stealing swastayam and all these tendencies have to be observed they are there in one degree or the other we have to observe them take note of them and understand the reason for them as we said the reason for each one of them is one's own inner inadequacy in acceptance in security which is a product of ignorance and thus when we see these tendencies in ourselves without getting perturbed about them without getting disturbed about them we have to objectively deal with them what happens is as we learn more about the values then we become more observant of our own self and when we discover these tendencies in ourselves we get very disturbed so far i did not know that this is cause stealing or i did not know this is uh, as we said yesterday uh, non stealing would amount to pure honesty 
slight dishonesty in any way of desiring to get more than what I deserve or what is my due share, all of that would amount to stealing. And as we observe these tendencies, we are likely to get disturbed and there can be further self-rejection and a feeling of shame, etc., which should not be there. We must know that this mind is not something that we have created. Mind is something that is given to us. And this is what it happens to be. It has certain virtues and it has certain limitations. Virtues we enjoy and limitations we work with. It should be as simple as this. It is generally not. Because there is such an identification with the mind. I am so identified with the mind that I am the mind. So if the mind is happy, then I am happy. And if the mind is unhappy, I am unhappy. Therefore, there is very little objectivity about the mind. <coughs> and what is necessary is to be able to step back and look at our own mind also objectively. And be kind to that also. <laughs> if you are to kind to motor cars, because they are not, you know, they are old, let us be kind to our own mind also. That whatever tendencies we find in our own mind are also cultivated inadvertently. All of these things have been cultivated because I thought that they were required. I was seeking refuge in them. I was seeking security from them. I realized that they are not source of security. They are in fact source of all the difficulties, problems. Now I want to get rid of these tendencies. And it's not going to happen right away. What I have entertained and supported for all this time, it is going to take its own time to slowly and slowly get rid of them. But step back from our mind, be objective over the mind, understand these tendencies and work with them. And working with them is number one, to understand their cause. And the cause of all of this is ignorance, which gives rise to a notion about myself, a notion of smallness, which brings about insecurity, which brings about self-non-acceptance. These are the causes of all the compromise of values. So as we understand that, then we will be objective. We will not get perturbed. And once you trace the cause, then we can work by removing the cause. How my sense of insecurity is false, how my self-non-acceptance is also not justified in light of the teaching of Vedanta. And this is how, by viveka or discrimination, we shall be able to resolve this. There is no other way of dealing with this, with violence or falsehood or stealing, all of these things, tendencies are there, the way to deal with them is viveka or discrimination. <coughs> then we go further, Next value is Brahmacharya, which is translated as continence. Brahmacharyam Ashtanga Maithuna Varjanam. Abstinence from sex relation even in thought. This is continence. So Yoga Shastra and all spiritual uh, uh, masters in India in particular, I'm sure elsewhere also, gave a great emphasis to this value called Brahmacharya, continence, in thought, word and deed. So continence at the level of abstinence from sex, at the level of thought, word and deed. This is what they call Brahmacharya. <coughs> it is interestingly enough, just for your information, it is said to be Ashtanga Maithuna Varjanam. <coughs> this Maithunam, Maithunam means copulation. Is Ashtanga is eightfold, at eight levels it is there. And they talk about this. This sounds all ridiculous in light of the, uh, the, the, situa the social conditions and things that are obtained today. But this is being said just for your information as to, for you to know the thinking of the sages, the, of the Indian sages, and which I am sure will also be found to be thinking of all the sages, is what is, of course, let us first uh, ask this question as to what is the need for this brahmacharya or continence? The, the need is in order to conserve the energy and sublimate the energy. So whatever energy there is within, 
that energy has to be channelized to what we call the subtler level. The very same energy that is rejected or exhausted away through the lower doors or gates has to be really lifted up. So Lord Shiva is called Urdhvaretaha, one whose energy is totally utilized and, and turned upward. And that really becomes what they call the spiritual energy. So one really gets the uh, intellectual stamina, one gets all these powers when this energy is conserved and properly channelized. Not merely conserved in terms of repressed or suppressed, but with proper practices. When this energy is conserved and properly channelized, then it is a source of great strength. And that strength is required for gaining the knowledge. For any spiritual upliftment, that strength is required. As Upamundaka Upanishad says, Nayamatma balahinena labhyaya. The self cannot be known or cannot be attained by one who is weak. And it's not so much the physical strength or weakness that we are talking about. It is really the mental strength that we are talking about. But that also requires this energy and therefore to conserve this energy. By recognizing that uh, exhausting away energy is really is, is not right for the person who really wants to evolve spiritually for that person to exhaust any kind of energy is not right so in fact we talked of ahimsa satya asteya that violence non-truthfulness etc are also exhausting away the energy when the mind uh, is under the spell of anger and violence cruelty or when the mind creates conflict on account of compromising truth or the mind has conflict because of the stealing, etc., that lot of thought of dishonesty and whatever that arises within, all of those conflicts and struggles are wasting or exhausting the energy. So you'll find that the energy of the mind is conserved when these values are followed. It is like building a dam across a river, that the energy of the river is flowing away at the moment without any, utility, any use, and you build a dam and conserve the energy and use it in productive channels. And so also the whole idea is to conserve the energies which we have and to use them to in productive channels. In that sense, Brahmacharya, we can even say self-control at every level. Not merely at the level of sex, but at every level, self-control would be called Brahmacharya. <coughs> and that is the reason why we have in India uh, continence is a way of life for everyone other than grahastha or a householder. There is no sexual indulgence at all by anyone theoretically or formally according to the tradition or scriptures by anyone other than grahastha, meaning a householder. He alone has the, the uh, official license or permission to engage into that act and no one else. Therefore, first stage of life is called Brahmacharya. Brahmacharya means a life of continence and study. And so students are strictly expected to study and nothing else. Today, of course, we find the students engaging millions of activities and all kinds of explorations and experimentations and I just do not know how they will have time and energy to study, devote themselves to study. But anyway, Brahmacharya means a life dedicated to study. And Grahastha, of course, having completed the studies, then once one formally enters the life, life of a householder, where one has an expression of one's uh, urges. And that also in a controlled manner. Even for a Grahastha or a householder also, that is Brahmacharya. Not Brahmacharya in a sense of total abstinence, but Brahmacharya in the sense of a disciplined relationship. That is what they talk about. <coughs> and then comes the stage of Vanaprastha. Vanaprastha means the stage of retirement, where the husband and wife who now completed this stage of Brahmacharya householder, they leave the home and go to forest. Or they live a life of retirement, uninvolved, you know, unin un free, I mean, giving up the involvement in the worldly matters and giving up, uh, leaving all the burden to their children. Then they live together but live as friends. In Vanaprastha Ashram also, the man and woman, they live as friends. They are also continents. 
And finally, there is a life of the renunciation, the monk, where of course there is a total abstinence. <coughs> so this is how continence is observed in all stages of life and by everyone other than grihastha. This is what is the general tradition. It is not that it is strictly done. It is not that people are always able to necessarily control their urges and therefore you find a lot of, difficult, I mean, you know, irregularities. But the, this is what is enjoined by the scriptures and because they consider this to be the most beneficial to the person. <coughs> and as they see this so-called... Uh, uh, Maithunam, Maithunam as I said, is the sexual relationship, is looked upon as taking place at eight stages. Smaranam, Kirtanam, Kelihi, Prekshanam, Guhyabhashanam, Sankalpo, Dhyavasayascha, Kriya, Nirvati, Revacha. So before an act culminates into the final act, there is Smaranam, remembering. Kirtanam, talking about it. Kelihi, sporting. Prekshanam, staring or watching. Guhyabhashanam, talking in private. Sankalpaha, thinking and dwelling and, you know, in the mind. Adhyavasayaha, a determination. And Kriya Nivrutihi, an ultimate act. In, in these stages, this whole thing proceeds. And therefore, they say that Brahmacharya is abstaining at every level. This is the traditional meaning of the word Brahmacharya. And Yoga Shastra and every other Shastra highly emphasizes this because one who is loose about as far as uh, one's own uh, ad, ad, I mean management of one's own impulses is, or urges is concerned, it is not possible for that person to be able to concentrate the mind, uh, you know, and so that concentration or focus of the mind is not possible unless there is this fundamental discipline, which must arise from a conviction, not from a, a suppression. <coughs> In conviction, as we say, it is that one should conserve one's energies and sublimate them. And we must also know that this brahmacharya can be practiced when there is brahmacharya or self-control at all different levels. When there is a basic discipline or control in our life, at every level of our transaction, at every level of our dealing, and then alone this brahmacharya will be possible. So, for example, this karma or the passion is, uh, is due to the way of life that we are leading. What we are eating, what we eat, what we drink, what we talk, what we hear, the company that we keep. So, food that we are taking through all those sources ultimately contributes into this passion that ultimately gets built up. <coughs> and therefore, here again, a spiritual aspirant should be uh, alert about all kinds of input that comes into the self. The food, that's why they classify food also as sattvic, rajas and tamas. So, rajas food and tamas food naturally will be conducive to these urges. And therefore, sattvic food. So one's food intake. <coughs> and then uh, again the input comes as I said through what we hear, through what we see, through what we read, through what we talk, through the company that we keep. And thus at all these levels more and more observance, I mean carefulness and alertness would help us. <coughs> Not only that but then having a positive thing like reading good hearing good, keeping good company, eating proper food, and all of this also are aids to an overall self-discipline. <coughs> so this is Brahmacharya. As we must know that Brahmacharya is not a repression or suppression. Brahmacharya is a certain discipline that is adopted by us as, as a result of a conviction or an understanding that that is exactly what is beneficial to me or desirable. And this brahmacharya is observed at all different levels, at the level of all the senses. 
if there is an indulgence, for example, in eating food, indulgence in reading whatever I want to watch, indulgence in seeing what I want to see, indulgence in watching TV and stuff like that, what kind of things we watch, all of these have effects upon the mind. And all of them contribute to the ultimate thing that we call passion. <coughs> so this is brahmacharya, abstinence from this uh, sex relation, even in thought, well, in the act, in the word, and in the thought. <coughs> and final value is aparigraha. Aparigraha is non-acceptance. Samadhi anushthana anubayuktasya vastumatrasya asangraha. Say, so a very interesting definition is given of aparigraha, non-acceptance. Parigraha means acceptance, aparigraha, non-acceptance. Non-acceptance of what? Non-acceptance is non-possession. Let us say parigraha means possession, aparigraha means non-possession. Non-possession of what? Non-possession of anything that may stand in the way of my study and my study and meditation. So, Whatever I, uh, whatever I've accepted as my pursuit of life and the values of life, anything that stands in the way of that would be called an unnecessary acceptance or unnecessary possession. Meaning one should get, become free from unnecessary possessions. Because possession is looked upon as a burden, really. Acquiring things, Reserving things, protecting them, all of them is looked upon as a burden. It, it brings about a lot of strain to oneself. Vishayanam Arjana says Yoga Shastra. Vishayanam Arjana Rakshana Bhaya Sangha Himsa Dosha Darshanat Asvikaranam Aparigraha. Before one acquires something, because the mind will want things. Mind always wants to acquire things. Mind wants to possess things. Because there is a certain security one that one finds from one's possession, or there is also a joy of possessing things, and of course there is an enjoyment in the objects that one possesses. So when a person seeks enjoyment from the things of possession, and thus the mind is encouraged to possess things, or when the mind wants to possess or acquire things, then one should reflect upon these doshas, or the defects that are involved in possessing and keeping. This vishayanam arjanam, acquisition of the sense objects itself involves a lot of pain because everything requires an effort. It requires an effort. When you acquire something, then it requires an effort because you have to earn that. You must work for it and then alone you can acquire. So acquiring these objects, that requires an effort. Arjanam, rakshanam, not only acquiring is an effort, but then protecting is also an effort to make sure that it doesn't go away, nobody takes it away and that it remains with me and to protect it. And, and those people who go to New York, they know very well how difficult it is to protect things, you know. That you park your car in the street of, of New York City and then every moment you are concerned, what will happen to my car? And even the car is there and you are, quite, you are happy that car is there, when you open the door then you find that half the things are gone away, you know. Not only they open the windows of the car, they even open the trunks. So far I thought that the trunks are safe. Not at all. They open the trunks and remove things from there. So we know how protect, protection of what you have also brings about a stress in the mind. Even if you possess books, when you have things, people want it also. So then people will want to borrow your books. They want to read books. It is not so much in, in the Western countries or in the United States, people are pretty well disciplined and therefore they don't generally speaking ask for things that belong to others. But in a country like India, this is very common. People will come and ask for a bicycle also. They will ask for things, you know. May I take your bicycle, you know, I just want to go someplace. May I borrow this book? May I borrow this? Little informal, you know, relations people have. So it is very common for one to ask for things that belongs to someone else for, one, for using for a period of time. And therefore, then people are concerned. When you buy a new thing like a new stereo or a video or TV and something, you know, then also you are concerned. 
that people will come. People, neighbors come and they switch on your TV or sometimes, you know, they use your things. And you don't like that, you don't like anybody to touch it. So when you, first of all, acquiring the TV or video itself required a lot of effort because it's a very expensive thing. And now that it is there, how to protect it also becomes a thing, you know. How to protect it from neighbor's children, how to protect it from your own children, how to protect it from neighbors indulging into that and even your own family members. Sometimes father will strictly, uh, you know, uh, restrict no children should touch this. Even wife will not touch, you know. He alone will switch on and switch off and start this, you know, because other people may spoil it. They may not know how to operate it. In fact, when people bring new furniture and new carpets also, many years ago I remember that I went to visit somebody. I rang the, you know, the doorbell. And then I was asked, they didn't open the door. I said, please come from the back door. I'm surprised. So I went into the, through the back door and then not through the, the front door. I said, what happened? He says, only today we bought the new carpet. So we don't want people to walk on that, you know. So we don't want it to be spoiled. <laughs> so this is how there's a need to protect what you have. And that also brings about its, its own additional strain and problems. <clears throat> then when you spend it, so when the things are utilized and you see that this is now, your new car is slowly becoming old and it's piling up mileage and there is a dent here and there is a dent there and things like that, then kshaya, you see the thing being used up, exhausted away, or the money that you have collected with such, you know, with so much of effort, when you spend that money, that also brings about a pain in mind. Alright, all my effort now, how much, every day expense account, you know, how much money is gone? Who, who spent what money? Why did you take this one? And why did you spend one dollar here? Why did you do it in ninety cents? You know, things like that. So didn't you realize that a sale is available there and why didn't you buy it here? So spending money also is, is a big problem. That also involves a strain. <coughs> then, asakti. What happens is, sangha means, then you become fond of things. When you possess things and when you start using things, then there develops an attachment. It is said that as a person uh, enjoys objects the world, slowly and slowly person becomes more and more skilled in enjoyment. Number one, one develops an attachment for the objects of enjoyment. At the same time, one develops new and new ways of enjoying things. This is how they are. And therefore, this asakti or attachment gets developed towards the objects and that attachment also is a source of pain because you don't want it to be broken, you don't want it to be stolen, you don't want it to go away from you, you don't want to be to, to part with it. And the rule of the, the life is that whatever comes has to go. And so parting also becomes a very difficult thing. So that also is a problem, meaning it also is stressful. And then himsa, it is said also that whenever you object, enjoy the sense objects, always some himsa or injury always involved. Any kind of a sen enjoyment at the sense level is going to involve some injury somewhere. Either it will in involve injury to your own self because you are indulging into something and that is going to hurt your own self, your own health. As Bharatrahari says, bhoga roga bhayam. Whether it's bhoga or indulgence, that is going to be roga or disease. If not today, tomorrow. Or very often when we acquire things, possess them and enjoy them, we are perhaps depriving someone else who could better use it. So, in parties and things like that, when they make a lot of food, and where do you require only three items, you make thirteen items, just to, you know, make it luxurious. That means that you are depriving many people who, could, who actually needed it much more. So, food and clothing and a lot of things that we actually acquire and possess and enjoy them, all of that indirectly involves what we call himsa or violence. So we should know that possessing more than what we require and using more than what we require involves violence. <coughs> and therefore, one should ideally have 
nothing more than one's minimum requirement. Mahatma Gandhi, all of these are extensions of ahimsa or non-violence. You'll find that basic value is non-violence. And then satya, asteya, brahmacharya, aparigraha are nothing but the non-violence practice in different situations. They are nothing but non-violence. So therefore, even parigraha or possession and an indulgence also would involve violence. Inasmuch as we are depriving someone else of someone who is needier. So we are depriving a needier person from what that person could have by wasting. So waste is a violence. Wasting food or throwing anything is a violence. Swamiji, we are a throwaway society. You know, you use something and throw it away. Take a big piece of paper, you know, a sheet of paper, write one or two lines and then throw it away, tear it off. You know, when there is a roll of napkin, people just pull out like this, you know, five napkins at a time, you know, and then just use it and throw it away with no consideration at all as to what injury it involves. But we are utilizing very scarce resources of this earth. So now there is a, a, a campaign, save a tree. You know, in the offices and in those office premises, they have this notices. Save a tree means minimize the use of paper because paper can be only, ultimately, we are utilizing the source of resources of nature. So we should know that we are utilizing scarce resources of nature which could be preserved or which could better be used by people who are more needy and therefore our own uh, usage of things should be minimized. In short, aparigraha or non-possession or non-acceptance would be a simple life, Li- a simple life with minimum needs and with minimum indulgence. <coughs> it is possible to minimize one's need it is also possible to maximize one's need. We can always increase our needs. And as Swamiji says, what is called progress is nothing but converting the luxuries into necessities. And thus we become experts. And expertise increases. Yoga Shastra says in fact, that person becomes more and more expert in enjoying things and converting the, necess- the luxuries into necessities. We have an expertise in that. And thus you can surround yourself with 500 different things and still feel that you need the, a few more things. And so keeping the life as simple as possible, that will be as less stressful also because having more things, possessing them, protecting them, all of them involves strain and also it involves himsa, it involves violence indirectly by depriving someone that someone could have used. And so wasting anything or throwing things away, all of this also is form of violence. Keeping things that we don't need, people have wardrobes, you know, and they have huge collection of things. How many clothes they have, 25, 30, 50, 100, you know, whole room full of things. The other day I was taken for a, a tour of the house and I was taken to a bathroom and a huge bathroom. And then there's a big room which is for uh, he, another big room for she, and where all this whole place is full of clothes. And we, are, we pride ourselves in that. And I remember even in India also there were people, particularly women, when they go to work in the office, they, they wear the saris, you know. For one month the sari should not be repeated, you know. They will not repeat that for one month. And they pride in themselves that I have so many, uh, you know, which is fine. But all of this is, you know, we are keeping these clothes which have no use at all, which are used once in a month, once in six months. And that means they are just lying there unused, whereas these things could have been perhaps better used by someone. Anyway, the idea is to simplify our life and minimize our needs. And that is ultimately called, that, that is how one becomes ultimately a renunciate. Whose, it is not that he has renounced or given up things, but he has simplified his life. He has minimized his need. So, this is aparigraha, which culminates into what we call sannyasa or renunciation. <coughs>
So these are the five yama. Yama is practice of, as we said, conserving our energies. That is the purpose of yama. It is not only enough that we conserve the energies, it is necessary to generate also. So one is that we conserve, for that there is yama, and second is that we generate things also. Because often we find that in order to practice this truthfulness or continence or non-violence, it requires alertness, number one, and secondly, it also requires an inner strength. It is not always possible for us to speak truth because speaking truth may involve consequences for which we are not prepared. Very often, of course, we fail to observe these values which we value on account of the fact that we are not alert. And we recognize that I said something wrong or I said something not proper and what it is only after we have said it or after we have done it. So very often we recognize the violations only after the fact. That shows that we were not alert. And therefore to observe these values, of course, is going to require alertness. That all we know. To observe these values is going to require, number one, an understanding of the value of values. This non-violence, truthfulness, all of these should become valuable to us. Then, of course, we'll be able to follow them. And the reason why we find ourselves compromising these values is because there are certain other things which are more valuable to us. Like wealth, possession, my own recognition, my own self-image. All of these are more valuable very often to us and therefore we find ourselves compromising these values. So to follow the values is going to require, number one, understanding a value of these values and assimilating these values when they become my values. And secondly, it's also going to require alertness. That now I know that I should not violate, I should not hurt, I should not tell a lie, I should not have this. So when this conviction has developed, then also to observe the values is going to require what we call alertness. When the real time comes to observe the values when I'm not alert, then there is a slip. And so, alertness is required. So first, what the values are, then that knowledge is required. Secondly, what is the value of these values? If these values are valuable to me, and if they are more valuable than other worldly things, then alone I will be able to observe these values. Otherwise, as long as my ego is important, as long as, you know, my own personal comfort, etc. are important, so long we'll find that these values are compromised. And so, observance of the values is going to require renunciation at every step. It's very interesting how each of these values requires us to renounce our ego at every step. <coughs> ego alone results into desires, indulgences, needs and so forth. And therefore, at observance of these values is chopping away slowly and slowly, all the dross or all the impurities that has been gathered. This whole process of observing values can be compared to a sculptor working on a rock and chipping away the unnecessary portion and in course of time bringing out a beautiful form. So that beautiful form which was hidden in the rock, which appeared to be rough and tough and which did not display any beauty to an ordinary eye, the sculptor saw that beauty and by chipping away the unnecessary portions from the rock, how the sculptor is able to manifest what is inherently there but what is not evident. So, what is not evident is made evident. And similarly also, that beauty is there, inherently there, in each one of us and that has to be made manifest. How to be made manifest? By chipping away the unnecessary portions. And these values is, this is what the values do. Ahimsa, Satya, Asteya, all of these values, they actually, each one of them is like a chisel and hammer. And every time we observe these values, a little chip is removed, unnecessary chip is removed from our personality. And thus, the inherent beauty is 
brought to manifestation. That's the purpose of these values. And that is going to require, as I said, alertness. We are alert about these values and constantly strive to observe them, that alertness is required. And secondly, we also require strength. As we said, very often we know that we should follow a value. I know that I should speak truth. I know that I should be honest, straightforward. I have a value and still I am not able to observe it. Why is it? Because being straightforward or truthful or honest is going to involve a big sacrifice on my part. Speaking truth, maybe I have to part with money, maybe I have to lose my job, maybe I have to lose something. So very often we tend to lose things for which we have value. We have value for comfort, we have value for money, we have value for satisfaction of our ego, which we hold very dearly. And whenever there is a conflict between this, these values that we are holding dearly, which are born of ignorance, and these other values, ahimsa, satya, etc., when there is a conflict, It requires a strength to be able to face the realities of life or to face a certain loss, a loss of certain things which we have been holding very dearly. And mainly it is ego. Or it may be the security that I am seeking from certain wealth and possession. So one has to be ready to give them up in order to follow these values and that requires an inner strength. And that strength also has to be cultivated. So as I said, number one, that our energy is to be conserved and number two, the energy also has to be generated from within by living a certain life, by observing certain way of life or what he calls discipline <coughs> and that is called Niyama. So whereas Yama is abstaining from something, Niyama is positively doing something in order, as we said, to build up an inner strength. And the passage 202 describes these niyamas on the page 112. Shaucha Santosha Tapaha Swadhyaya Ishvara Pranidhanani Niyamaha Shauja Santosha Tapaha Swadhyaya Ishwara Pranidhanani Niyamaha Shauja meaning cleanliness Santosha contentment Tapaha austerity Swadhyaya study of the scriptures and Ishwara Pranidhanam meditation or worship of God. So these observances in our life are number one the cleanliness or purity, two santosha the contentment, three tapaha austerity or penance, swadhyaya study of the scriptures and ishwara pranidhanam worship of Lord. So these are recommended by Yoga Shastra as the Niyama. <coughs> so what is Shaucham? Shaucha is cleanliness or purity. And what is that? Shaucham Bhakya Bhintara Lakshanam. This cleanliness is twofold. Bhakya and Abhyantara. Bhakya means exterior and Abhyantara means interior. Exterior cleanliness and interior cleanliness. So cleanliness at both the levels. Shaucham tu dvidham proktam bhakyam abhyam tarantatha murajjalabhyam smritam bhakyam bhava shuddhis tathantaram There is a verse which says Shaucham tu dvidham proktam The shaucham or cleanliness is said to be twofold. Bhakyam abhyam tarantatha External as well as internal is twofold cleanliness. 
Mrujjalabhyam Srutam Bahyam. How do we maintain the external cleanliness? Mamrujjala. Mrud means clay and jala means water. So in the olden days, just to clean the body with clay and water. So you take a certain clay and then rub on the body. It cleans the, the dirt on the body and then you clean it with water. So they didn't have the detergents and things like that. So they were using natural detergents. So cleaning your body with detergent and water or with soap and water and cleaning our clothes with detergent and water. So that external cleanliness, which we know very well about. So that is a very important spiritual discipline, would you believe? That even keeping ourselves clean externally, keeping our body clean, keeping our clothes clean, keeping our surroundings clean, that is also a discipline. In fact, even a spiritual discipline. And this has a great, this has received a great importance in India. Indians, Hindus, emphasize great deal this exterior cleaning. Very fussy some of them are. So fussy that they won't let you touch anything, you know. They themselves will not touch anything, they won't let you touch anything. So when they cook food, for example, when mother would cook food, typically a lady takes bath and wears only clothes which are not touched otherwise. It will be interesting for you to know that in every house, either in the kitchen or in a place like that, which is not accessible to the rest of the family, at a, at a, you know, at a certain height, there is a, a bamboo, you know, or a string, basically a bamboo, a wooden, you know, and that is where they hang the clothes for drying. But then they are so high that Generally when you walk, then also you don't, your head does not touch. Meaning that they are not accessible, they are not touched. And when you want to retrieve those clothes, what do you do? You take a stick and with the help of the stick, you take these clothes. And with the help of the stick, you dry them. A wooden stick. And so wooden, wood apparently is not a conductor. And therefore, by wooden stick you can take. So they take the bath and then even when the clothes are still wet, they take those clothes and then chain the clothes. So clothes which are washed. So washed clothes are hung there, up there. And after taking the bath, they will take those clothes. So that means that you don't touch those clothes otherwise. Uh, because by touching, they become impure in some ways. And so to maintain that purity. So food is cooked only after taking bath. They, the fire is considered very sacred. And therefore they do not touch the fire unless that the bath and other purification processes have taken place. And therefore food is cooked. Generally the old-fashioned ladies will take bath before even going to the kitchen, before even making a cup of tea. They will not do anything unless the morning bath is taken. <coughs> and cooking food is considered to be a, a, almost a ritual like a religious ritual. And therefore, that kitchen area where the food is cooked also is, uh, is like, what do you call it? I mean, nobody is allowed to enter there. Unless, so, children who have not taken bath and what not, they are not allowed to enter that area. And that is how they maintain that kind of a sanctity in cooking food and whatever. So, uh, this kind of cleanliness of the clothes, of the surrounding, etc., is given a great deal, it's, it's part of, in fact, spiritual practice. So, this is external cleanliness. And external cleanliness is not confined merely to keeping the body clean, the clothes clean, but also cleanliness in terms of what can make the body unclean. And therefore, food also becomes a very important thing. So, the shaucham or this cleanliness would also involve a certain observance of our habits, dietary habits. That if you eat certain food, then there, it, has, it is going to create this unclean thoughts in the mind or make the body also unclean and therefore eating sattvic food also is a part of what we call cleanliness process. Because we have said earlier that the food that we eat has an immediate effect upon the mind. It is said in Chandogya Upanishad in the sixth chapter that the food that we take has three portions, the gross portion, the middle portion, and the subtle portion. 
and the gross portion is rejected, the middle portion gets converted into flesh, etc. And the subtle portion of the food that we eat is what uh, makes our mind or what is what nourishes the mind. And therefore food has a direct effect upon the mind. And if the mind is calm and quiet, then the body also will reflect that kind of a thing. If the mind is agitated or the mind has all kinds of passions within that, all the agitations and passions of the mind will reflect themselves at the level of body also. And therefore, to keep the body clean also is going to require to keep the mind clean in that sense. And therefore, food habits etc. also are important. And so food, clothing, environment, keeping all these things clean is the external cleanliness. And of course, as you said, the other kinds of food, what you eat, I mean, what you see, what you hear, the company that you keep, all of that also becomes food, and all of that also has an effect upon the inner composition of mind, and therefore, shavucham or cleanliness will also involve a uh, one's awareness of those things also. <coughs> so this is Mrudjalabhyam Surtam Bhakyam. The external cleanliness is maintained by water, soap, detergent, etc. Bhava this Tathantaram. But more important cleanliness is inter- inter- internal cleanliness. The cleanliness of the mind. That is even more important. That's called Bhava Purity of the thought. So purity of the body, clothes and environment. At the same time, the purity of thought. This is called the Shaucham, Antas Shaucham. You'll find in our book, The Value of Values, this value being very beautifully discussed, Shaucham or cleanliness. <coughs> so how do we keep our mind clean? What is meant by the impurity of the mind? All these negative thoughts which create agitation in our mind, which create a disturbance in our personality are called impure thoughts. For example, anger, hatred, resentment, jealousy, retaliation, uh, all of these would be what we call impure thoughts. And therefore, to clean them, clean the mind of this kind of thoughts would be called the mental purification. And we should be alert as far as this mental purification is concerned. Like our clothes, like white clothes in particular. How these, the, the dirty spots develop there, how spots develop on our clothes if you are not careful. And so also, this kind of spots develop in our, on our mind also if you are not careful. Mind is an extremely sensitive equipment. And therefore, it is prone to develop these spots of dirt if you are not alert about it. For example, when dealing, day-to-day dealing with people and with the situations, sometimes a little anger may come, means one dirty spot. Resentment may come, a dirty spot. Hatred may come, a dirty spot. A hurt may come, a dirty spot. Self-condemnation may come, again a spot. And these things keep on happening throughout the day. Sometimes I'm hurt, sometimes I'm resenting, sometimes I'm jealous, sometimes I'm angry, and sometimes I condemn myself, sometimes I condemn someone else. So all of these things, little things that keep on happening in the mind, all of these are impurities of the mind, or those which make the mind dirty. And therefore, just as we, use, we wash our clothes with detergent, we also seek to wash our mind constantly with a detergent. And what is the detergent with which we constantly clean our mind? That detergent is called Pratipaksha Bhavana. We have discussed this earlier, Pratipaksha Bhavana. A habit of entertaining or maintaining what we call the opposite thought wave. A thought wave arises in my mind and I neutralize it by an opposite thought wave. A thought wave of jealousy arises in my mind, I neutralize it by opposite thought wave. 
resentment, jealousy, hatred, anger, as these things arise, I replace these thought waves by what we call the opposite thought waves. This is a method of observing shaucham or cleanliness of the mind. For example, jealousy. Let us take a couple of illustrations. I feel jealous of someone. Why do I feel jealous? Because I find that that person is better than what I am. That person possesses things that I don't have. That person has something that I value, which I don't have, and that person has. Whenever I consider someone to be superior to me, then generally a jealousy arises in our mind. Why do I feel jealous? When someone has something that I, you know, when someone is happy or someone is progressing, why should I feel bad about it? The reason why I feel bad or I feel jealous is someone's superiority brings in my mind an awareness of my own inferiority or my own lack. So someone's possession of some virtues or whatever I value that brings to manifestation my own inner lack or own inner insufficiency which I cannot stand or I cannot accept. And therefore that self-non-acceptance results into what we call jealousy. <coughs> so when I see somebody growing or progressing, then there is a burning sensation within my own mind. This is called jealousy. And this jealousy has come. And if it comes and goes away, there is no problem. If a thought occurs once or twice, it is not a problem. But when the build-up of thought is there, it completely disturbs our mind. You know yourself that when there is jealousy in the mind, there is no way that we can focus our mind into either study or meditation. We cannot do anything, anything worthwhile when the mind is filled up with this kind of thought waves. Whether it is jealousy, anger, resentment, any of these thought waves comes and then I can, my mind is totally disturbed. I cannot do anything at that time. And so when we find, so these thought waves become really hurting when they build up. If one thought of jealousy comes and goes away, it's not a big problem. If a few thoughts come and go away, no problem. But when the same thought keeps on coming up again and again, it builds up. And when a thought builds up, it acquires a tremendous strength. And it completely disturbs the disposition of our mind. So when we find a thought of jealousy arising in our mind, replace that thought away by the opposite thought wave. What is opposite of jealousy? When somebody is doing well, when somebody has something that I value, which I don't have, and I feel jealous, then what is the opposite thought wave? Congratulation. In our mind, we congratulate the person who has what we don't have. That I have value for certain virtues, which I am not yet able to cultivate, and somebody has them, let us congratulate them because that is what he has. So he has accomplished something for which I have value. So when jealousy arises in the mind, I replace it by congratulation to the same person. <coughs> when for some reason hatred arises in my mind, I hate somebody. It's, I'm disgusted because a person is, behavior is disgusting. You know, person is disgusting to me. The way the person talks, walks, behaves and conducts oneself, I'm disgusted. Then what do I do? Meaning when I see that someone is dirty, someone is ugly, someone is... his values are like this. So what I value, someone is just opposite of that. Then very often in our mind there is a disgust in, for that person. What do I do? Then the disgust should be replaced by a sense of compassion or kindness that the person does not possess what, the, what I possess. So when someone possesses more than what I possess then there is jealousy. When someone does not have what I value then there is a disgust which also is a negative feeling. Then that should be replaced by what we call kindness or compassion. That maybe that person does not have the kind of privileges and benefit that I have. That I, I speak truth. So when somebody speaks a lie I just get disgusted. I start dis disliking that person, hating. I am clean, somebody is not clean, again disgusted. Uh, I find people angry, disgusted. 
So when I find that people don't have the values that they should have, then there is a sense of disgust or dislike for the person. And this is also an impurity of the mind. So when this kind of thing arises, and this arises because I think too highly of myself, and therefore I think very lowly of other people, when that arises in our mind, that thought wave should be replaced by what we call compassion, that maybe the person does not have the value because the person did not have the kind of benefit that I had of education, of the satsang, another privilege that I have, maybe someone did not have, and therefore someone does not possess those qualities or values, and there is no reason why I should dislike or hate that person or be disgusted with that person, I should have kindness. <coughs> so these are some of the examples of what we call Pratipaksha Bhavana, replacing a given thought wave by the opposite thought wave. And if you constantly keep doing this, because moment to moment these things arise in our day-to-day dealing, and if alertly, right then, we constantly keep on making a point of diffusing the thought by the opposite thought wave, then the negative thought will not build up, and thus we shall be able to maintain what we call the purity of our mind. A mind has to be pure or clean in order that it can focus its attention either on study or thinking or contemplation or whatever, meditation. For that is required what we call a pure mind and this is a way to maintain that purity. So this is a value called shaucham, purity or cleanliness. <coughs> okay. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutau Vande Bhagavantau Punaf Punaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om